Welcome to the Truth and Liberty broadcast. We believe we have a mandate to bring godly change to our nation and the world through the seven spheres or mountains of influence. To further this cause, we give away a product every week that will empower you to get involved in changing your life and changing our world. You can register for our weekly giveaway by subscribing at truthandliberty.net. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to receive weekly updates on guests, news, and much more. This is an interactive live cast and we welcome your questions. To ask a question during the live cast, use the comment or chat features. Now get ready to dive into this week's topics with our hosts on location in Colorado, USA. Hello and welcome to our Monday Night Truth and Liberty live cast. I'm Andrew Womack, got Richard Harris here with us and I tell you, I'm glad to be back. I've been gone for a month, I think. Yes. My wife and I had our 50th wedding anniversary and we drove 4,600 miles. Most oh, people wow. would think that's torture, but we love driving. And we went all the way over to Maine, Georgia, and all around seeing the trees. And anyway, had a great time. And then we had my wife's 70th birthday party a week ago on Monday. And so anyway, it's been a month since I've been here and I'm glad to be back. And tonight we have David and Tim Barton with us. We'll introduce them a little bit better in a moment. But Richard, uh, tell them what, how they can get involved and some things going on. Well, it's good to have you back, Andrew. Well, We're glad you're back to too. Back. Yeah, uh, so you guys know this, but this is an interactive process. So if you have questions or comments tonight for uh, David or Tim or Andrew, be sure to post those in the comments section there on Facebook or the chat box on uh, on our website and we'll be sure to do our best to get to those. And speaking of our website, we've got some new resources up there I wanted to mention tonight, uh, including um, the, uh, don't you remember a few weeks ago we had on Ambassador Sam Brownback on the show. So don't forget about his sharing, uh, he's collecting stories about people that have been debanked by the woke mob in banks. So uh, if that's you, be sure to check that out. And then also uh, the, the House Judiciary Committee's report on the corruption of the FBI. That's a resource that's uh, there for you as well. We've got some great events coming up here at the ministry, including December the 6th is going to be the Karis Campus Reveal, Andrew, and this is where you're going to this talk going about to your big. vision for Karis Bible College on the campus here, and it's going to be a you know, star-studded lineup. It's the amazing. Lord is really blessed. As a matter of fact, uh, Tim Barton uh, made one of the endorsements we're going to be playing. We've got a whole bunch of celebrities, mm -hmm. such as Tim, that are helping us. I mean, Governor Huckabee and James Robinson and um, Richard Roberts and Bill Johnson, Kenneth Copeland, and just a lot of people. And uh, what we're going to be doing is sharing about how that we are beginning to expand our Karis Bible College so that it has student housing, student activity center, athletic center, hotel and conference center, performing arts center. We're going to make it a full university mm. and uh, it's going to be a big thing. So again, that's going to be on Tuesday night, December the 6th. And any of you that can, we'd encourage you to watch because we've got flyovers, uh, uh, graphics where you actually go into the buildings and see what they're going to look like. And it's going to really, really be good. That's awesome. Well, that's going to be uh, December 6th on awmi.net. And then also we've got some Christmas events coming up here. Wanted to mention the Heart of Christmas, December 9th, 10th, and 11th. That's an awesome live Broadway quality production uh, that uh, you want to bring the whole family out for that. It's really great. And also the Living Nativity, the 16th through the 18th, where we have camels and horses and donkeys and a live baby Jesus 
noises and everything. It's just beautiful. It's wonderful. And then Andrew's going to be in Phoenix, Arizona, January 5th through the 7th for the Phoenix Gospel Truth Conference. That's one of the highlights of, of the year. Great event. Who's ministering with you there, Andrew? Looks Lance like Lance Wall, Wall now. Yep. So that'll, that'll be a be fun time. Yes, it's he's, always. He just thinks different than anybody I know. You never know what you're going to get with I Lance. Know. He's, it's he's great. Character. Um, listen, and also if you're not a subscriber to Truth and Liberty, we really want to encourage you to uh, to do that. Just go on our website to and click subscribe. Share your email with us, and you'll start to receive all of the amazing information that we send out all the time here at Truth and Liberty. That's all designed to keep you informed and equip you to stand for truth in the public square. Um, if you do uh, that today, you're going to be eligible to receive a free product. I don't have a copy of it with me here at the desk tonight, but uh, the free product is Andrew's book, Spirit, Soul, and Body. And this book is revelational. After you get this revelation, you wonder, I wonder, how does anybody understand the New Testament without understanding what a spirit, a, soul, and body is? It was a key that unlocked all of Scripture to me. It's foundation of everything God showed me. Yeah, it's awesome. And then uh, I wanted to congratulate Alan Thomas, who won last week's product, Effortless Change. Alan, you'll get an email from us in the uh, here shortly about how you can claim that free gift. And then um, we are, we just finished a season here at Truth and Liberty where we uh, distributed a million voter guides in the state of Colorado uh, and held pastor meetings and, and mobilizing the church all throughout this state. We did that through the generosity of our donors. And if you want to be a part of what God's doing here, you can become a member of Truth and Liberty. Just go on our website to the donate page, sign up to make a recurring contribution of $5 or more per month automatic, and you'll be a Truth and Liberty member. And uh, we believe God will reward you richly for that. We'll also send you a free copy of the U.S. Constitution and Declaration of Independence, as well as Andrew's dependent, uh, Declaration of Dependence on God and His Holy Bible. So uh, thank you for your generosity for that. And then uh, wanted to mention Gifts to Truth and Liberty Coalition are not tax deductible. It's a 501c4, but God notices. If you want tax credit, you can get that by giving directly to Truth and Liberty Foundation, which is an integrated auxiliary of AWMI. So that's available. Information is on our website too. And uh, last, if you need prayer tonight, we've got, uh, Andrew has an amazing team of trained, uh, spirit-filled prayer ministers standing by. Just call in at 635, or excuse me, 719-635-1111, and someone will agree with you in prayer. Amen. So our Amen. guests tonight are uh, David and Tim Barton. It's father-son team, if I'm not mistaken. I think Tim is in Texas at their place there, and David is traveling and in Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. So anyway, we've got them on split screen. But David and Tim have, well, David is one of the uh, board members of Truth and Liberty, and David and Tim both have been coming to Colorado and helping us uh, make a difference in this mm -hmm. nation. So they, they are really actively involved. This They are a big part of Truth and Liberty. And if you don't know them, I could spend a lot of time introducing them, but in my estimation, they are uh, national treasures. I think that they are the preeminent historians on uh, American history, and they're really involved in politics and have been used by God to do a lot of things. I was watching the uh, election night coverage on Victory Channel, and David was on there, was a big part of that. And so, anyway, we're glad to have you guys with us. Thank you so much for taking time. I know that you're traveling, Dave, and we appreciate you being with us tonight. Good to be with you. Amen. And so, uh, I think everybody who is conservative is very disappointed in uh, what was happening. You know, the scripture says in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I think that conservatives were really hopeful that this was going to be a red wave or a red tsunami 
and it didn't turn out that way. So I would appreciate y'all's input since you are involved in it more than most of us are. Uh, what's your takeaway? What do you think about this? Yeah. Let me let me kind of start first on that. Um, I, I, you're right. It was a big disappointment. Literally, as Tim and I were doing the national coverage uh, that Tuesday night, um, it was a couple of days before I could talk um, because I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to say what I was feeling. I didn't want anything vocalized. And I just it, none of it made sense. I had to figure out what was going on. How did, how does this thing play out? Because it doesn't look right, doesn't smell right, doesn't feel right. And I think I've got a handle on it now, and I think it actually is much better in so many ways than what I, I, I thought it was. I think God's got some some plans going that, you know, certainly they weren't evident to me at the time, but I think I now understand some of what's going on. And so as you look at election night, you're right. People thought it's somewhere between a red wave and a red tsunami. Everybody agreed on that. The Democrat polling showed that. The Republican polling showed that. Independent polling showed that. Uh, everything out there showed that. And it wasn't a red tsunami. It wasn't a red wave. It wasn't even a red drippy faucet. There was nothing <laughs> red about it. Uh, this is the first time in 30 years that the president's party in an off-year election has picked up state legislative seats. Republicans lost seats in state legislatures in places like Pennsylvania, places like Michigan, uh, places like Minnesota, uh, places across the nation. Republicans lost seats. The president picked up seats. Uh, Democrats picked up trifectas, and, and trifecta is when the, the House, the Senate, and the governor are all from the same party. Democrats picked up trifectas in, in states along the East Coast. Uh, trifectas Republicans had were broken up. So th there was nothing really good about it. And then as you looked, particularly even at the ballot initiatives, there were 132 ballot initiatives on the ballot. Um, there's a whole lot of that that didn't come out good at all. And so in trying to figure out what's going on, how did this thing turn in, in such a direction? I think I now have a handle on it. And I think it boils down to the abortion issue. Um, and I think that that will speak to us in, in some ways that, that may be compelling. But let me kind of put the, put the view on it. What happened was it turns out that Democrats spent $415 million in ads on the abortion issue. They nationalized that issue. Every one of their Senate ads, their House ads, they run the same boilerplate ad that this election is about abortion. Republicans are trying to take your freedom away. If you want to protect free reproductive rights, you have to you have to fight Republicans and turn out. And they got their abortion base to turn out at the highest percentage uh, saturation wise that I think we've ever seen. Uh, it was interesting to me that their abortion ads were so extreme that even CNN called them out on some of the ads. CNN never facts checks Democrats, but they did. And they said, no, no, these ads are misleading. They're not accurate. Uh, they're attacking people who don't believe what you say they believe. So they were called out, but they kept doing it. Now, what kind of impact did it have? But going into the election, the number one issue in all polls was the economy. The number two issue was crime. And yet, when you look at a race like Pennsylvania, the exit polling in Pennsylvania showed that far and away, the number one issue with Pennsylvania voters was abortion at 36%. The number two issue was the economy at 11%, and number three was crime at 10%. So abortion is three and a half times bigger than any other issue. National-wise, abortion only showed up as number five to number seven in most, most polls. So how did they get it number one they, they spent the money on it. They, they poured the money into it. They got their people out. And what's even interesting in that um, is if you look at young people, 
young people, what we call Gen Z, that's the youngest generation that's being recorded now, and then you go to millennials and Gen, Gen X and et cetera. You look at that generation, they for several years now have been the most pro-life generation in America. It has been for the last 20 years that the younger the group, the more pro-life they become. It used to be that over 65 was your most pro-life group. Now the Gen Zs are more pro-life than the over 65s, and yet they, they showed up 28-point difference voting for Democrats, pro-abortion Democrats. How did Gen Z end up voting so pro-abortion? What the Democrats did was in driving people, they told the Gen Z people, hey, you're protecting your, you need to get out and vote on freedom. This is all about your freedom. Republicans are trying to take your freedom, and they did not use the word abortion. It's interesting, just a couple of years ago in Kansas, there was an initiative run in Kansas, and Kansas is a pro-life state, votes that way, their legislature's that way. And this was an initiative that was an, it was a pro-abortion initiative. And it actually won in that pro-life state because all the ads the Democrats ran, they put lots of money into it, they never one time mentioned the word abortion. When it was all over and people said, wait a minute, that was about abortion? I never heard that. I didn't know that was about abortion. It was framed in a way that got them to turn out. So the Democrats did a good job of turning out their abortion base, including the young base. Now, what happens with this, by the way, uh, that election night, there were five states that had uh, state referendums on abortion issues. All five states went pro-abortion on election night on state issues, including two states that are normally pro-life, and that's Montana and that's Kentucky. Even they went pro-abortion that night. Everything revolved around the abortion issue. So what that tells me is what did not happen was we, we did not make moral issues an issue in that election. It was all about economics and crime. And actually, Democrats turned their people out on moral issues, which Republicans have been saying, oh, you don't want to address moral issues. Well, how did that work out for them? So I think this now puts that back in front. Uh, as we went through the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s and the 210s, we kept saying the, the biggest issues in the elections are moral issues. And finally, in the last few years, we've become so secular that people said, well, you shouldn't address moral issues. Nobody turns out on that. They do. And so this, this would have given an excellent opportunity for the pro-life groups to turn out. Uh, and, you know, by, by and large, uh, Richard, you mentioned that we were outspent 35 to 1 on, on pro-abortion ads over pro-life ads. In nearly every single Senate race, most House races, Republicans were outspent anywhere from three to one to five to one, everything. There was unlimited money for Democrats, and that message got through. So when I look at Colorado and Truth and Liberty, Truth and Liberty, Richard, the Million Voters Guides put out, I think that was a huge impact because in any other state that's blue like Colorado, they lost seats like crazy. And the fact that Colorado only lost one state legislative seat uh, when it could have been 15, 20, 25, I, I think that's a massive win. And I think that's directly the result of getting churches and pastors to get people turned out. But what we did see was evangelical turnout, Christian voter turnout tended to be very low across the country. It was not a big demographic. Christians did not show up much at all. Um, and, and that's another cause for the election, which that's something else has got to be fixed in the next two years. So that's kind of my look at some things. I, I think it's good in some ways because let, let me give you my silver lining on this thing. Um, I think what happens is if Republicans get the Senate and get the House by a wide margin, most folks in America don't understand that that will not change a single thing in America as far as positive things. 
All that means is they will be able to stop what Biden is doing through law. They can't stop what he's doing through executive orders or through agencies or anything else, but they can stop what he's doing through law, and they can stop, stop the really radical judges that he's putting in, but nobody knows about that or talks about that. So what would happen two years from now, the economy will likely be worse than it is now, and they'll say, well, we gave Republicans the House and the Senate, and it's worse. We're not doing that again. So the fact that the, the Republicans did not gain the Senate. The fact that they barely gained the House, one to two seats, is still undetermined. Um, what's going to happen is it's going to be back on the Democrats in two years. So I think that's helpful because, again, most Americans do not recognize that you can't change things just by changing parties. And even if Republicans take in the House the Senate in a big way, you can't pass a law in the, in the Senate without having 60 votes. You have to get past that filibuster. And so that's all process, but I think that's a positive thing. I think Republicans would have been blamed for a lot of stuff they had no control over. And so I think things are in a better shape now because I think the economy will be worse. I think the nation will be worse off, and it will be real clear who's behind that. So that's that's the silver lining. Um, the Republican presidential race actually started the night after the election, so that's something else that will turn out more people. But in the meantime, we've got to get to those Gen Z kids and mentor them and help them understand political issues. Uh, polling shows us that that is the only generation in the last 120 years that actually wants to be mentored. And so as, as adults, we've got to find some young people and just kind of take them under arm, create good relationships with them, become good friends with them, and just talk to them about some issues. And yeah, that really was about abortion, that election. I know you guys are pro-life and didn't know that was about abortion. They kept telling you about freedom, but it, it, was, it was about abortion. And they're going to be shocked to hear that, but somebody's got to do that. And churches need to do it as well. That's the other thing we did. We did see, like in, in Colorado, churches really turned out well and helped. And so I think that's why there was not the, the landslide blue in, in Colorado that there was in other blue states. Um, but churches have to step up on this as well. So that's kind of my spin on it. Tim, you want to you want to share yours? Yeah, well, I don't know if uh, Andrew, Richard, we need to go a different direction, but certainly um, I think there's a lot of interesting takeaways from the election. Um, first of all, I was already identified. Democrats were really good on their messaging. The Democrats were very disciplined where, you know, the primary issues where democracy is at stake is what President Biden kept repeating. And what many Democrat leaders were saying is if Republicans get in charge, we're going to lose democracy in America, which just if, in case anybody doesn't know, America is not a democracy to begin with. We are a constitutional republic. Nonetheless, this is the fear mongering that Democrats were really good at messaging and then with the messaging, uh, making the issue about freedom and personal freedom. And, and again, some of the great ironies are the. The, the, the conservative leaders are the ones who believe in individual freedom, who believe in, in those realities of Scripture, and ultimately Republicans did a terrible job with messaging. There, there could not have been a better scenario if you were a Republican in this election when the economy is terrible, crime is up, inflation is ridiculous, and yet for so many Republican strategists, instead of just asking the very basic Ronald Reagan question of, is your life better off now than you were three or four years ago? Well, for most people, it's a very simple question. Republicans weren't asking good questions. They, they weren't messaging well. And so there should be some leaders held accountable for this. And the reason I think that's positive is we have leaders, unfortunately, with both political parties, you have people that have been in power so long, they just become entrenched in the system. And, and, and people have made note about the fact that Nancy Pelosi has nearly $200 million that she has gotten since she's been in Congress. 
and arguably it's because of insider trading related kind of stuff but but we could point to Nancy Pelosi and talk about how corrupt and evil it is. Mitch McConnell has over $40 million, and he's making the same kind of salary Nancy Pelosi is. How in the world is he making that kind of money? Because there's corruption on the entrenchments on both sides, both Republicans and Democrats. You have corruption in leadership, and this actually sets up things where there now are very many conservative Republicans calling for a change in the leadership. And I think that's very healthy as well. We, we need to get rid of some of this entrenched leadership where people are more concerned about securing their job, about making their money than they are about the principles that are actually beneficial for America. And dad, you know, you were mentioning that it's important that we help reach the next generation and train them on political issues. I'm gonna add a little caveat, then something that it's not a correction because this is already what we think and believe. You and I have these conversations a lot. We don't need to train the next generation to be politically active, we need to train them to be biblically minded because part of being biblically minded is being salt and light in every sphere that you are involved in. And that includes in the political and the government arenas. And, and so this is not about training people to be political. This is about helping people become better disciples and understanding where faith applies and make those connections. And as much as we really need to do that, there is good news that we saw a lot of people waking up. Andrew, we were uh, on your program, I think it was earlier this year, that the, the months and the years may be running together a little bit in my mind now, but we were on your program, I think again, earlier this year, talking about a great awakening, believing that we are in a great awakening. Well, if we look at the history of the great awakenings, the great awakenings were really rough and lots of issues for decades before things got resolved. In the Great Awakenings, there was a lot of discussion and debates over truth and morality. There was a lot of disagreements. There was a lot of splitting and separation, even inside of church denominations. But ultimately, over time, you saw the correction where truth was restored. Morality was, again, permeating through culture based on the truth of the Word of God. This is something I think we are seeing right now. God is waking up people all over this nation, and as God is waking people up, that, that doesn't mean we're instantly going to win the battle. If you look back at the American Revolution, uh, kind of worth noting, the American Revolution, John Adams says that he thinks the American Revolution began with the uh, the, the first blood that was shed at the Boston Massacre at, at King Street. Well, that was 1770. The American Revolution, the Peace Treaty of Paris, was signed in 1783. So you're talking about 13 years of bloodshed between the Americans and the British. But if we even go more like the Declaration era, so 1776, then end until 1783. So now you're talking seven or eight years of revolution. Well, during that time, the Americans were part of more than 250 battles in the American Revolution. And of those battles, our Commander-in-Chief George Washington, he was only a part of 17 battles in the American Revolution, and he only won six of them. Well, mm -hmm. the majority of Washington's military career in the Revolution were defeats. In fact, for the majority of Americans, when you look at those 250-plus battles from the American Revolution, Americans lost a significant majority of those battles, but we ended up winning the war. How? Because we didn't give up after we were defeated in in one battle we kept fighting until ultimately we won the war and this is where i think as as we are seeing god awaken and stir people up part of the great awakening is awakening people in the midst of a culture in conflict and and they're being awakened to get engaged in this spiritual battle because we know we don't wrestle against flesh and blood we, we know there's more going on in the spiritual realm but they're being awakened to engage in this battle and in this battle there could be 
a lot of defeats, but if we will not give up, we can win this war in the end, which is what history shows us, but it's also the reality of awakenings, that in these moments, there is an uphill battle, but God continues to wake people up. God helps people stay motivated, stay engaged, stay involved, and over time, these are wars that can be won if we will stay engaged. And, and I'm encouraged seeing churches that were getting engaged for the very first time. God's waking people up to be part of this spiritual conflict, of this great awakening turmoil with the, the battle and debates over truth and morality. I, I think there's a reason to be encouraged. And that, as you mentioned, there's some silver linings along the way as well. And certainly there's more we can talk about, but I, I don't want to filibuster. So uh, wow. Andrew and Richard, whoever we need to go to next. <laughs> Well, as you've been talking, I wrote down five things, and, and you guys, I really agree, and I appreciate what you've said, but let me just mention these things, five, five things real quickly, because I may not get another chance to say it <laughs> with you guys. But uh, number one, uh, if the Afghanistan uh, foreign policy, Putin, what he's doing wouldn't have happened with Trump. If the economy, if... Uh, you know, just you could go on and on, inflation and the gas prices and just on and on. If that doesn't wake people up, what in the world will? They can turn it on just mis messaging something about abortion. To me, that's really discouraging. Uh, did this, did the optimism talking about the red wave cause people to feel like, well, there's no point for us going to vote because we got it in the bag? Did that hinder turnout? And also, when you were talking about them messaging and, and making it about uh, freedom and losing democracy and stuff, none of the people that I was really associated with, they didn't fight back. They didn't counter anything. It seemed like they ran from the abortion issue. And man, I think that they should have made it front and center. Uh, I think that there was corruption in the election. I think some people are thinking about that and maybe thinking that the election was stolen. So what's the point? And that brings to, you were just addressing this, Tim, but I think a lot of people are discouraged, like, well, man, if, if we couldn't turn it around now, we just might as well give up. So those are some of my questions I have for you. Would you like to address those? Yeah, let me take a couple of those, Andrew. I know Tim will have some, some responses too. Um, the, the part about the, the fact that the, the machines, the corruption, the what happened there, and that kind of also goes to the fact that people were saying, hey, it's a red wave. I don't need to get and vote. This thing is a done deal. This goes back to a, a basic understanding that I, I believe every American needs to have. I'm sure going to share it from where I am. Um, you know what? If I knew that every single election from here to the time I died was corrupt and would be handled by machines and I would never win another race in my life, I'm still going to vote every single time because I'm answerable to God for the stewardship of the nation he gave me. And if I stand before him and he says, hey, what what'd you do to save your nation? Well, it was just so far gone, I didn't do anything. That's not an acceptable Amen. answer. Mm -hmm. I'm going to at least say, you know what? I went out and voted and I tried my best and they may have stolen it and there may have been corruption everywhere, but I did everything I could. And so th there's a motto I learned from John Quincy Adams says, duty is ours, results are God's. I don't have a right to vote. I have a duty to vote. Amen. I will vote every single time there's an election. I'm going to take enough time to find out who's there. And if I lose every time I vote from here to the time I die, I'm going to keep voting 
because I will answer to God at some point. So that's not an acceptable thing. Well, we were going to win anyway. The machine stole it all. Both of those are, are bad worldview kind, kind of positions. Um, the other thing I think that came out in the election Tuesday night was people rewarded the leadership. You know, DeSantis goes from winning by four-tenths of a percent to winning by 19 points. How did that happen? There's a guy with backbone who stood up and people said, that's what we've been looking for. You even had Democrats who came out, state-elected Democrats who came out and endorsed uh, DeSantis, said, you know what? This guy's leading. He's fixing problems. We really appreciate that. You had the same thing with Brian Kemp. They thought he wasn't going to win hardly at all. He won by eight or nine points. Again, he'd had leadership. There were Democrats in the state who came out and said, you know what, we appreciate leadership. People appreciate backbone. And for us to self-censor just because we think we're going to get attacked and, and go silent, that's not acceptable either. You, yeah. you cannot do that. We have too many examples in the Bible where people stayed silent when they should have talked. And it, it sometimes comes at a high consequence. There's no question. People don't like it. Polling right now shows that about 77% of Christians self-censor for fear of being attacked. Nobody likes being uncomfortable. N no, and I don't mean attacked physically, attacked on, on Facebook, or you get deplatformed, or you know, Twitter's gonna cancel you. Maybe they won't now, but they would have a year ago. Huh. That kind of stuff, and well, I don't want that happening. We are, we are so wimpy in so many ways. At some point, we're gonna have to get a backbone and stand up. And so I, I think that that e eventually is going to have to happen. It's, it's not a matter uh, of whether we can win or can't win. That should never be a question in anybody's mind whether we're going to win or not going to win. I'm going to get out every election, do everything I can, at least vote. I'm going to drag a bunch of other people with me. I'm going to be recruiting candidates for the next election. I'm going to do this every time. And, and so I, I think that's really a significant mindset we're going to have to get to at some point in time before we actually get to where we can sustain a, a win. And final thing I'll throw is we as, as Christians, and I'm going to say as a conservative Republican, we're at a definite disadvantage. One thing about progressives and liberals is they all think together and they act together. Uh, you know, even AOC and Pelosi, who don't like each other, they carry the same message. They say the same things because they're all about one thing, unithink. We've all got to be one group. Uh, with Republicans, if you get 10 Republicans in a room, you're going to have 28 different opinions on what's going on. <laughs> and that's an individual thing. I like being an individual. That's a terrible thing for campaigning with the, the mentality we have in America. It used to be fine because we actually analyze thoughts. Now we go with where the group is. So I don't want us to lose that. I don't, I don't think we need to give that away. We want to be individuals. We don't want to be part of a group. God doesn't look at us as part of a group. He looks at us as part of individual, as single individuals. I don't give that away just because it works in politics. So at some point, we'll get past that. But, you know, Andrew, I, I think for, for where Christians are, if you said, well, they're going to win anyway, or if you said, I'm not going to vote because of the machines, you need to do a real self-examination and figure out how you're going to answer to God when he says, why didn't you vote? You didn't do anything. You, you, you took what I gave you, Luke, 5, Luke 19, Matthew 25. You took the, the talent I gave you and went and hid it and did nothing. That's not acceptable. So, Tim, let me ask you this. Uh, is there any good news? I know that uh, Florida was good. There were some good things that happened. And at the very least, we won back the House, or it's projected that we won back the House. How is this going to affect things in a positive way? Is it going to make it, is there any good news? Yeah, I really think there is good news. And sometimes uh, good news can come in a, a different package than we were expecting. But 
we know because God is able to cause all things to work together for good for those that love him or call according to his purpose. God, God's ways are not our way. His, his plans, his thoughts are not our plans and our thoughts. And so God's ways are different, but there are times you can look and go, I can see how this might end up going in the right direction. And sometimes even identifying where the problem is, is, is a really great thing because it then helps you come up with the right solution. Uh, it's worth noting that for Democrats, you know, for, for so often Republicans, and, and we even together on this program have talked about, we have to get Christians out to vote. We talk about voter turnout. It's interesting, Democrats don't talk about voter turnout. Democrats for the last decade have talked about ballots because they're not worried about who turns out, they're worried about ballots. And one of the things that we are seeing are in states that are now saying, let's go to mail-in ballots, Let, let's focus on the ballots. Well, then it doesn't matter about your voter turnout as much because if you can harvest ballots, if you can collect ballots and, and one person from one apartment complex can gather all the ballots and go turn in all those ballots, all of a sudden now you don't have to have voter turnout because you have ballots that you can collect, you can harvest, you can turn those in. The, the reason this matters, again, it's identifying the problem so we can find the right solution. My dad mentioned when Governor DeSantis was elected initially in 2018, it took weeks before he was finally elected and sworn in because there were counties like Broward County who kept finding boxes of ballots and they would have to count and tabulate a little bit like what's happening right now with like the Lauren Boebert situation in Colorado. There's still more ballots. We, we have to evaluate these ballots and count these ballots well, the more ballots people are able to find, the more potential there is to fabricate and cheat on some of those scenarios. And so when Governor DeSantis in 2018 was finally elected, one of the things he said is we're going to secure elections. And part of how we secure them is we're going to remove just this mass mail-in ballots. And they still do absentee ballots. So if you have a justified reason why you can't be there, if you're in the military, if you're out of town, you can get an absentee ballot but there has to be verification for that. There's a process to make sure that fraud is not as easy in this process. Well, that was in 2018 with the governor DeSantis. He won by 30,000 votes. So with 7 million votes in Florida, winning by 30,000, not that much. This last election, when they had secured their election, he won by more than a million and a half votes. And at this point, they've removed some of these mail-in ballots. Now, the reason, again, this matters is once you can identify the problem, then you can work for a solution. And now more and more people are beginning to identify, you know, these mail-in ballots seems like it might be a little suspicious, seems like there's potential for fraud. And in some states where it is legal to do this, now, just because it's legal doesn't always mean it's ethical. Right, abortion is legal in some states. Doesn't mean it's morally right. Doesn't mean it's good. However, it does help us identify where do we want to fight back. Where are, are some of these problems, and where is this even fixable and winnable? Where Carrie Lake in Arizona, there still is a good chance she comes back and wins that election, and she's already said if she wins this election, she's doing what Governor DeSantis did in Florida. The good news is people are seeing some of these solutions for some of these problems where there has been some chicanery, some questions along the way. And Andrew, even as you mentioned, where you look even at the House, it's still projected Republicans should win. They think 218 or 219 seats. There's 435 seats in the House, so 218 gives you a majority. But it's worth noting that Republicans actually flipped some major Democrat seats and that's become now increasingly significant with how small this margin is, where it looks like Republicans might win with a very small margin. Well, 
now the fact that we were able to flip some of those seats, like in New York 17, with the Democrat campaign committee chairperson, who the, the guy who's in charge of all of the fundraising for Democrats, for all the money being spent for Democrat campaigns, he got beat in New York. <laughs> A Democrat congressman in New York got upset. That's great news. We have seen some great victories along the way. And when you're seeing some of those victories in places like New York, it does give you hope and optimism that winning is achievable. Victories are possible, but we have to have better strategies. We have to have better messaging. And we also need to recognize where the problems are that we strategically say, OK, that's a problem we need to solve. And now if we can identify the problem, we can work to resolve that issue. One more, one more thing I'll add, uh, guys, is the day after the election, I got a text from a pastor in Minnesota, and Minnesota got crushed. Got a text from pastor in Minnesota, he said, guess what? I just got elected to the school board. We didn't pay much attention to school board races, but all over the nation, we picked up school board races all across the country. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was good gains. Now, a lot of states don't have school board races like Colorado. That's an off year. That's that's next year. That's what we'll find Colorado next year. And but last year, I mean, picked up what was it, Richard? Seventy-eight that we got last mm -hmm. year, and yep. across the state there were other groups as well. So that's a, that's good news. You get healthy from the bottom up, not from the top down. And we're seeing these school board things go, and, and they went really well this time as well. And by the way, while we're at it, this is the first election cycle where that marijuana got voted down in a number of states. Uh, we've gone through 19 states and only Michigan said no to medical marijuana, but we had Arkansas and, and the Dakotas and others that voted down marijuana this election, and that's a brand new trend. That needed to have started, but we have never seen that happen in, in the previous 10 years. We saw it this time, and that's good. Well, that, I'm still trying to hold on. Is there any good news to us taking back a slim majority in the House? And David, you mentioned that even if we had the House and the Senate, it, it won't stop Biden from doing executive orders. But is there right. any good news? I mean, is this yes. at least a break on the liberal thing? They don't yes. have a rubber stamp? Well, what happens is by having a majority, several things happen. Having a majority in, in the House, even a slim majority, means that, they, that the Democrats cannot pass a single bill unless it makes sense and is reasonable. Their agenda-driven stuff now stops. It, it, it cannot pass the House. Now, what they'll try to do is they'll try to attach it to spending measures. They will let the government shut down, and they will try to come up with what are called continuing resolutions to fund the government, and that's where they'll add all their abortion stuff, et cetera. So that's a tactic that Republicans are going to have to fight. Uh, they usually lose in the press on this, so this really is, is hard for them. But you're going to see a stop to the, to the laws that have been coming through Biden. That is not going to happen. Second thing you'll see is you're now going to have a lot of focus and a lot of pressure put on a lot of places. Uh, they will start doing hearings on a lot of the stuff with Fauci and all the money he's made, all the stuff he's done with COVID. They're going to be hearing, there's going to be sunshine start to hit some areas. There's going to be hearings on, on why is the FBI being weaponized. We're going to bring this to light. We're going to show all the bad stuff that's happening with the FBI. So there's th things that are going to start now coming to the light. And, you know, Ephesians 4.13, that's a big deal. It's like when you start shining a light in a room, the cockroaches scramble. And so we're going to be able to bring light. And the other thing that's really good about this is because it's such a narrow victory, 
there's a lot of challenge to the traditional leadership in the house. There's a lot of these younger guys are saying, listen, you guys have been squishy. It's time to get a backbone. It's time mm -hmm. to have some something for the American people to see a clear difference between the parties. And so that's going to happen now, too. You're going to see a lot more conservative push within the legislature, which is a very healthy thing. So I think this is healthy for Republican leadership because it's now going to start pushing them to reconnect with the people instead of reconnect with their own pocketbooks. Uh, you're going to see a lot of things come to light that, that we didn't know about before. And now because Twitter is actually allowing some things to be owned, it's going to go to millions of people who didn't know anything was going on. I mean, the fact that Twitter fact-checked the White House twice in the final days coming up to the election, and the fact that the White House actually pulled down some of their tweets because they were inaccurate, that hadn't happened in a long time. So you're starting to, to have an opportunity now for this stuff to come to light. Uh, but the good news is that the agenda has stopped. They're going to have to find different ways to do that, but they can't get near as much of it through as they've been getting through. And so that's the good news on taking the House, even if it's just by one or two votes. There's several things that will change in the nation. Well, let me add real quick. I was trying to inter interject a second ago. So at that, as you're mentioning, they can shine some light. They can have some of these committees where they can it, go back to Fauci, where he lied on multiple occasions. Well, the reason they can do that is because the party that's in charge gets to have the chair of all the committees. So all of a sudden now, Republicans are going to be the ones in charge of all of the committees, and therefore they get to call some of these meetings. That they get to control the agenda. So there really is good news. Not only is there a check and balance now uh, in a much more healthy way, we're also the House is where all spending bills are supposed to originate. And so when you have Republicans in charge, hopefully there's a, a different level of fiscal responsibility. Now there is question marks on that with some of the Republican leaders we have who've been very happy spending lots of money. However, having Republicans as the chairs of all these committees does set up and allow opportunities for exposure to happen. So this is really good news. Yeah, I, I think this is really good for our conservatives in so many ways, Andrew. Uh, I think that the light will be shed on a lot of darkness that was not being seen. I think that there will be a good house cleaning that starts. I think you'll see a rise and people starting to articulate important values, get those values back out, which the, the Congress has been silent on now for a number of years. I just see a whole lot of good things coming out of this. It doesn't give it to us as fast as we had hoped we would get it, but I think if we had won with a really big margin, we'd be talking about the same things we've been talking about. This narrow margin now causes us to focus on what's really important, and that, I think, is very positive long-term for the movement. I think this is a good long-term step. It's not what we wished for. It's not what we wanted for. But I do think God has this thing planned out and that this is really what's needed right now to do an internal house cleaning and to get us back to priorities. I think this is really good for that. Man, there's a lot of things I'd like to ask, but we need to give our viewers an opportunity to ask some questions. Yeah, so absolutely. Do we have some? Yes, sir, we I do. I bet you we got a slew. We do, we do. Um, uh, Timothy on YouTube wants to know if uh, you think that Trump's endorsement uh, was relevant in this cycle. In other words, did Trump back candidates win or lose, or was it a mixed bag? Tim? I was deferring, but <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, what, what, yeah, by and large, all right, I'm going to take it real quick. Uh, by and large, what we saw is it was a mixed bag that a lot of the candidates Trump endorsed did, did not end up winning. And I mean, in some very silly ways, Trump then blamed people around him where he blamed Melania for encouraging him to endorse Dr. Oz. And I mean, really, it, it seems childish on some levels. 
uh, how Trump has handled some of this uh, with the people he endorsed not performing well. It's also worth noting that when you look at some of these scenarios like Fetterman winning the Senate seat in Pennsylvania, that over a third of Fetterman's votes were mail-in ballots, and a huge portion of those mail-in ballots came before the debate even happened. So, so most people in Pennsylvania, arguably, especially if they're voting Democrat, they had not seen or heard Fetterman speak. Uh, all of the Democrat media was saying, hey, this guy's super healthy. The stroke he had, it's no problem. And then when people saw the debates, everybody, the Democrats included, said this was a game changer in that election. But by that time, over 650,000 mail-in ballots had already been cast before the debate. Because in Pennsylvania, they allow mail-in voting for 50 days. All this to say is even in the places where Trump did endorse people, in some of those cases, it didn't go well. But there are some extenuating factors that could have a part in that. However, this notion that uh, Trump is able just to give his endorsement to somebody and they win. He endorsed more than 300 candidates, and a lot of the high-profile candidates he endorsed did not do well. Uh, and some of it we can go back and point to Republican leadership, where they didn't want to put money in those races. There's other extenuating circumstances, but Trump's endorsement alone did not carry those individuals across the finish line to a victory. Yeah, I think what's really clear is Trump is not the powerhouse he appeared to be in the primaries. Uh, he won like 99% of the endorsements in the primaries, but he was also, the, the two things that he would ask when you came to get his endorsement was, what's your polling numbers and how much money do you have in the bank? And if you choose people who are already high in polling numbers and have a lot of money in the bank, you're going to hit on a whole lot of those. It's when you get into a contested election like this, and we saw the numbers really, really fall, percentages fell significantly. Uh, and, and so that, that magic endorsement kind of thing that so many people felt Trump had, real clear that it's not there at this point in time. Not that he's not a formidable force, he is. Uh, but to answer your question specifically, Tim, Tim, who asked the question, uh, no, the endorsement was not significant in most of the election. Uh, it, it, it really was not a factor. All right, well, uh, thank you for that. So uh, the next question here is uh, from uh, DG on chat. She's asking, won't the Georgia Senate election be immaterial. Dems already have 50 in the VP on the Senate votes. If Repubs get elected, they still will only have 50. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, uh, that, is, that is not insignificant. It is vastly significant for several reasons. One is if they have 51, then they can afford to lose someone like a Joe Manchin or a Kristen Sinema who has voted with the Republicans on several occasions. So if you don't have Herschel in there and they have 51 votes, then it is a railroad. Um, Manchin was able to stop several really bad things as a Democrat because he sided with the Republicans. That one seat makes a vast, vast amount of difference. It also makes a vast amount of difference for the next six years because that Senate is going to be in there for six years. If things ch change, if things turn in two years and go a different direction, that one seat will be huge for the next four years after that. Uh, so that is not an insignificant one. And I was just in, in Georgia yesterday doing some rallies in Georgia, trying to get people turned out because in Georgia, uh, the Christian voter turnout was very low and the conservative voter turnout was very low. They underperformed. We've got to get those people showing up. Uh, this should not be a contest if God's people show up. Let me ask a question about the filibuster. If they, uh, if they don't get Herschel in there, can they do something about the filibuster and end it so that it'd be easier for them to do stuff? 
Um, each new session, they, they vote on their rules. At that point in time is when they could end the filibuster. By and large, both parties have kept it in there as a safeguard against the other party. Uh, the Democrats would love to end the filibuster for two years and then get it back if they yeah. lost power. Mm. Um, the party in power generally doesn't like the filibuster. The party out of power does. So it tends to be a very selfish thing. I personally am opposed to the filibuster because the founding fathers are opposed to it. They said the majority wins. And so right now, even when Republicans a few years ago had 55 in the Senate, they couldn't get anything passed. And people said, well, you had the Senate. You didn't do anything. We're throwing you out. Well, it's because it takes 60 in the Senate to pass something generally, unless you're in a spending measure. Uh, a lot of what the Democrats did were spending measures. That's a simple majority. But other policy measures takes two-thirds or it takes 60 votes. So they can get rid of that in any cycle. They generally are reticent to do that because it comes back to bite their party in the next cycle. So it's a selfish thing they keep around, unfortunately. Um, but I don't think they'll get rid of it this time, even though they're talking about it. All right. Well, here's another question, Dave uh, and Tim, from Martha on chat. And uh, she says that the conservatives are not reaching or connecting with the Gen Z and younger generations. And we're seeing this in churches as well. Uh, so how do we communicate with the younger generation and turn this around? Yeah, that's something that when you look at uh, some of the Democrat strategy, which for most of us, uh, because of the algorithms on social media, the, the, the things that we see the most are the things from like-minded people, are the things from our friends. So we're not seeing what a lot of the rising generation sees, uh, the, the things the algorithm suggests to them. So for example, probably most people listening, they don't know who Billie Eilish is. Billie Eilish is a pretty big social media personality, and Billie Eilish did a very long series of encouragements for young people to vote for Democrats, similar with Taylor Swift, similar with LeBron James. You have some significant influencers who were encouraging people to vote for Democrats, and by significant influencers, we're talking about influential people for the rising generations. And so you have a couple of, of things that are are contributing factors. When you have social media pop stars that are saying one thing, they're going to sway a lot of people. But then when you have churches being silent, you, you now have the double whammy. Because if churches at least were saying, hey guys, let's make sure we remember what the Bible says. Here, here's where the Bible says is value. Here's what the Bible says is righteousness. Here's what the Bible says about life or marriage or gender or human sexuality. If we were teaching in the church basic biblical values, basic biblical ideology, faith, theology, doctrines, then there's at least a little bit of a counter on the younger generation inside the church, which is, I think, part of what this question is related to. But what we discover is that most young people in the church, they're, they're listening to the same social media. They're, they're listening to the same music, watching the same movies. They're, the, the, the same athletes are their heroes, as are the secular people. And so when you have those social media influencers, when you have those personalities that are coming out and offering their position on something, and the church is not telling the truth, they're not offering a, a counterbalanced perspective on this, it, it, it makes it very difficult for those young people to not be swayed by that. And so what has to happen is the church has to start being the church. We have to start teaching the whole of the Word of God again, starting in Genesis 1, that God made them in His image, male and female, with this transgender issue. It's a huge deal right now. Well, th this is the huge deal right now that's very clear in the Bible. And the reality is no, no Christian should ever be confused about an issue that's not confusing in the Bible. So, so why do we have so many Christians confused about the issue? Because pastors are not teaching what is very clear in the Bible. So this really goes back to pastors have to get involved teaching the truth of the Word of God. 
especially for the young people in their congregations to have the counterbalance from what they're hearing from social media because from Democrat numbers, uh, they know that when you have people like Billie Eilish or Taylor Swift or LeBron James doing things, they're estimating that is millions of votes from young people. Well, if you get millions of votes from young people solely in one direction, that's enough to win most elections, even national elections. And, and this is what Democrat strategy have been, and churches have been silent, so churches have to get involved and speak up again. And I'll point out, too, that polling-wise, polling shows us that this is the most relational generation we've ever had polling-wise, uh, which means that if you can develop a relationship, a friendship, a trust relationship, you can have influence. I really think this is a good time for the church to get healthy. All right, so let's say pastors aren't going to talk about it. They should be, but let's say they don't. That doesn't matter because Jesus told us to go make disciples of all men. How do you make a disciple? You go preach the gospel to them? No. He didn't say make converts. He said make disciples. That's sitting down and spending time with someone. Iron sharpens iron. You get to know them. It's a relationship. This actually is a perfect opportunity for discipleship. This is a perfect opportunity for people to create relationships, friendships, trust relationships. And a relationship isn't created because you go have a coat and sit down and tell a Gen Z, you guys voted pro-abortion. You're crazy. Here's why you should have done it the other way. No, it's a trust relationship. You have to put time into it. And if you can do that, you can disciple people, but that's for everybody. They all need to be discipled in every aspect, not just made converts. That's barely a starting place. Making disciples is what Jesus wants, and this is a relational generation. Every one of us can do that. Churches definitely should be doing that. But that's that's what's going to take to, to turn things around is relationships. You know, this to me brings up an issue that we haven't talked about, but our education system is yes. so corrupt, and they are brainwashing yep. these kids. Yep. Uh, can we counter that without changing or doing away with this educational system? Well, there's well, several things thing. going to counter that, Andrew, and I don't think there's a single solution to it. I think it's all of the above solution. You have what uh, Arizona did with school choice, fantastic school choice. If you pay taxes, you can take those tax dollars and put them where you want. So $7,000 a year for kids, you can put it homeschooling, you can put it Christian schooling, you can put it charter schooling, you can put it public school, you get 7,000, you put it where you wanna educate your kids. That's one way. Uh, we've seen a massive growth in homeschooling and Christian schooling. Christian school attendance is up about 50% as a result of all the crazy wokeness in so many schools, that helps but that still means four out of five kids are in public schools. This is why you're seeing people get involved in school board races. This is why Tim and I are doing things with curriculum. Even next week or two, we're gonna be with some major curriculum people dealing with, uh, with books that are used in millions and millions uh, of, by millions of students. You have to do all of the above, but you have to make sure that we get back to, to making, making sure we know what, what education is about. So educational competition, a competition does nothing but make everything stronger. And that's starting to happen in America um, and, and Texas. We haven't been able in 15 years to introduce a single bill that even allows educational choice. There's a lot of effort going this year because legislators are fed up with what they're seeing in schools. So this is an opportunity. Uh, but going to what you said, Andrew, I mean, if you look at, at what schools are doing, if anybody questions whether schools are having a, an impact or not, look at the fact that the millennials, about 2.6% of millennials claim to be LGBTQ. Right now it's 21% of Gen Z. 
So how did you get from 2.6 to 21%? Education has a whole lot to do with that. It is that way in so many other areas as well. Uh, right now, 75% of college students say that we should get rid of the Constitution, become socialist. 49% of millennials say the same. Where'd that come from? How did it get so different from one generation to the next? education. This is all about education. At some point, we have to get control of that. But in the meantime, we've got to teach everything right that we can. We've got to teach our own kids. We've got to have Christian schools. We've got to have competition. We've got to get involved in the public schools with school boards and get that stuff back under control, because right now, that is a cesspool of what's coming out in America. Hmm. Real quick, next year, a lot of states are having school board races. People, you're listening right now. I'm just going to say you need to consider: Is God calling me to run for my school board in my in my local yeah. area? It's time for Christians to step up in this time and take responsibility. If we don't, then the blame is going to rest on us. You know, I hate to even bring this up. We only got two and a half minutes. But is the school system so far gone that we just need to have churches and people start putting in Christian education and just try and do away with the public education? Is it too hard to turn around? The, the system is incredibly broken right now. To, to be very short, try to be succinct, the system is very broken. And, and what we jokingly tell people is when, when someone says, yeah, but there's really good teachers in the Christian school, that's like saying the band on the Titanic was really good, right? That <laughs> ship is still going down, even if the band is really good. There's some really good people in a very broken system, and God can use them in great ways. The system itself is very broken. When progressives took it over 100 years ago, they, for the last 100 years, worked to corrupt and change the system to produce what we are seeing now today, uh, kind of what was known in some educational circles as the useful idiots, as, as a generation who would just do what they're told, who would follow orders, and, and this is what progressives and Democrats largely wanted. It's what they have produced. It's a very broken system, and parents need to really consider. They have kids in public school. They need to really prayerfully consider Right, Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and the forfeit his soul? Yeah. We might need to think about what are other options, homeschooling, private school, Christian school, charter, something else, because that public school system is very broken. I, I hate to break in here, but would you guys please give your website how they can get hold of you? Because I'm sure a lot of people are saying, man, I'd like more information. <laughs> Wallbuilders.com is the best place to go. We're all over social media, but wallbuilders.com. That's awesome. We sure love you guys and appreciate everything you're doing. Again, we want to thank everybody who's watching. I know that you've been blessed by this tonight. Hopefully it's been encouraging. And also we want to thank CTN for carrying this on their network for us. They've been doing this now for years and we really appreciate it. Remember that we do this every Monday night at 6 p.m. Mountain Time and we have on different guests just like David and Tim Barton and uh, we've had on some heavy hitters. I mean, some great things. It's just a great place to come. And we've got a great website too, which is? Truthandliberty.net. Amen, and you would be blessed if you could go there and check out some of the things we've got. So again, thank you for being with us. God bless you. Thanks, David and Tim, and we believe you guys are just awesome. God bless you. We'll see you again next Monday night for another Truth and Liberty Livecast. Join us next time for the Truth and Liberty broadcast. Find tonight's episode and related articles and links at truthandliberty.net. Truth and Liberty is viewer supported. If you'd like to help us continue our live casts, you can make a donation at truthandliberty.net. 